Hello everyone and welcome to the Property Show podcast. My name is Monty and I'm your host of the show that investigates and discusses the latest news and views in the UK property market and general financial world, all delivered in a down-to-earth, challenging and hopefully witty way. We have a welcome return to the studio today for property legend, expert and all-round Mr Knowledge himself, the effervescent Ed Mead. Now, Ed, as you know, knows pretty much everything about the property world, having worked with Douglas and Gordon for many years, and is now founder of prop tech firm Vuba. Welcome back, Ed. Hello, Monty. And I just want to say for those listening, I'm not the one with the creaky chair. So I just wanted to make sure that you know that. <laughs> I think that's me with the creaky chair. Because, uh, well, I'll tell you about the creak- creaky chair in, in a minute. Um, we don't just have one property expert today, we have two. And to balance out Ed's rugged exterior, we also have with us a touch of royalty with accomplished property expert with over 20 years professional experience in the industry, as well as being a journalist, author and broadcaster. Welcome to the property princess, Louisa Fletcher. That's a very, very kind introduction. Thank you so much, Monty. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. I've got more, actually, for those of you who don't know Louisa. Uh, You worked on the launch of the UK's first online bank in 1998, I believe. Indeed, I did. And then you were part of the team who launched the first UK property portal in 2000. Yep, that's right. Um, Yep. (laughs) (laughs) You can blame me. Lots of other things. Yeah, Yeah. And you do loads of consultancy work now for various people as well. Absolutely, um, yes. So anyway, welcome to both of you. This is the um, lockdown edition, so we can't actually see each other. So I don't know if anyone's pulling faces at me. Um, so we'll see what happens. Anything can anything can go wrong and probably will. Um, it's really hard to think of an adequate introduction given the uh, extraordinary times we're all going through with property market effectively on hold a large proportion of the population on mortgage holidays or rather deferral schemes and many furloughed. The question now on everyone's lips is when do we start to get out of this and what will normal look like? Um, Rather than me pontificating anymore, which I could do for hours on this subject, my guests are here for a reason. So I guess we should ask them. So, but before we get into the meat and drink of it, first off, obviously lockdown is tough on everyone. How have you both been coping? Um, any good tips to share? And what are the positives you found? Louisa, go on. <laughs> um, do you know, it, it's been okay. And I think it's very much a mindset. It's as with everything in life, it's it's kind of how you approach it. Um, on a personal perspective, we're very lucky we have outside space. So I think the whole thing, the whole um, crisis just makes you very grateful for what you have. Um, but I think I've been very lucky in as much as that I've worked from home sort of the majority of the time for quite some years. Um, and I actually managed quite a lot of my major projects remotely. So I kind of had quite a lot of the, the kind of skills, skills and tools that other people have had to quickly adapt to kind of in the bank. Um, but I think, you know, where I've been speaking to businesses and speaking to business owners and, and members of C-suites over the past few weeks, um, I've been sort of trying to instill in them that, you know, first off, um, when you when you think about these kinds of um, situations, you know, the, the teams that you are in charge of leading and inspiring are probably finding it as difficult as you are. Um, so it's going to be all yeah. about, you know, considering their mindset as much as possible. Um, but I think also, you know, the army have a fantastic approach for this stuff. Um, and, and they have a brilliant term. It's called mission command. 
and right. you provide the objective and the deadline and then it's up to the individual to get it done. So you don't tell them how to do that. You know, nobody gave them a blow-by-blow account of how to storm the Iranian embassy. But yeah. so long as they achieved the deadline, it didn't matter. And, and you know, it's, it's in circumstances like this where being a control freak, it's, gonna, it's not going to help anybody. So you've really just got to trust in your teams and kind of let them do what they do. And, it, and they will surprise yeah. you and they will come through for you. Um, and I think on a personal level, it's just all about kind of being organized and having your own objectives. It doesn't matter what they are. Just, you know, that personal sense of fulfillment of just ticking the box and going, yeah, you know, I've had a really productive day. It's, it's yeah. all about that mindset, I believe, anyway. Very good. Wise words there. Ed, what about you? How are you, um, how are you coping? Well, things? number one, I've never been this busy in my life, um, which is extraordinary, really, bearing in mind, <laughs> but, well, uh, bearing yeah. in mind that we're in a situation which is unique in my experience um, insofar as the entire world is in the same situation. Um, and, yeah. and that makes this very different. I mean, I'm old enough to have started as an estate agent when the first oil shock in the 70s was going on. So I've been through, you know, oil shock. Um, I've been through, you know, the 88, 87, 88 recession uh, up until 98, you know, September 2001, dot-com bubble, financial crisis. All of that stuff ended up in a market, meant you ended up in a market where there was either no demand and lots of supply or lots of supply and no demand. And, and the market sort of, uh, you know, uh, bounced around accordingly. The problem we have at the moment with the property market is that no one knows what the hell's going on. But to me, it seems fairly obvious that you've got a, whilst demand is down, so supply. So sort of both have come off together and both will come back together. So I hesitate, like a lot of people, to to bang on about how prices are going to fall. And normally, if you look at social media, you'll find out that people are saying, it's normally the, the buying agents that are saying it's going to fall and the agents that are saying it's going to go up. <laughs> but from my own perspective, um, from Vuba's perspective, you know, we've been, uh, I've been working from home for four years, sounds what, rather like Louisa. So it's nothing new for me. And I'm lucky enough to be in Dorset with a re- reasonably nice view and a bit of air around me. So it could be a lot worse. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that... You're getting out on the bike at all? No, no I've, been, I've been very... Um, I've been following the rules, really. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. I know a lot of what we're going through or what we're going to go through over the next few weeks anyway um, from now on is going to be about common sense. But up until now, it's been about following the rules. And, you know, I've got a mate of mine who lives next door who's... Um, uh, his father's a GP and some of his other kids came down from London um, and gave him CV-19 and he died. So, you know, I'm afraid no, the whole right. travelling around thing, people are beginning to think, oh, this doesn't matter and what's lockdown all about? That's yeah. what that's what it's all about, saving lives. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So going on to the, the property market then, obviously we've, you know, been at the forefront of this like, like loads of other businesses, but how do you feel that the property industry itself has coped so far um and do do you get a sense that when there is some return businesses such as estate agents will look very different for all those all those who are furloughed in the state agency at the moment will they return well the the average uh it it appears that about 75 percent of staff have been furloughed so that's a huge number of staff and of course the you know the what will be most important for them is whether they're going to be coming back at all you know how many people will be coming back i've heard all sorts of stories about people not re-employing 25, 30% of their staff. So who knows what that's going to look like. And I do think that this is a situation, I alluded to it a couple of minutes ago, where um, because the whole world's in the same situation, people have been forced to look at new working techniques that they simply haven't been had, they haven't been forced to before. 
And I think the industry will take a sort of 10-year leap um, insofar as a lot of the things that they're going to be engaging with are going to be cost-saving, time-saving, uh, interesting tech they wouldn't have used before. And I think what you're going to see is estate agents with fewer but better qualified employees, uh, a lot more stuff sort of outsourced, the stuff that people used to associate with agents, which isn't necessary to have people running around doing. Um, and I think that it may look quite different. You know, we don't need, do we need so many offices? High street offices are great, but, you know, having, could you get away with having a, a hoarding on the high street and staff coming in at different times to service yeah. clients differently? There are all sorts yeah. of things that could be changed. Yeah. You see, there I was going to make that point. Well, I was just going to say, you know, let's face it, you know, by dint of lockdown, whether they like it or not, pretty much every estate agent in the UK has now become a hybrid. You know, that, that's now it. You know, they're not operating at the moment mm. from, from a high street, you know, that they're, they're operating remotely. And, you know, the ones that have already either embraced prop tech previously um, or have just sort of literally joined the party out of necessity, you know, hopefully they will have seen the benefits and they will, they will you know, not just be in this for the short term, but, but for the longer term. Um, you know, and, and on the lending side, you know, I've been hugely impressed, you know, for the most part, by the way that lenders have taken advantage of the AVMs that are available. You know, I, I know that there's been some, you know, criticism that some lenders perhaps haven't been quite as efficient with case handling and that kind of stuff. But, you know, credit where it's due. I mean, you know, was it Barclays have got 80,000 staff of which 70,000 are now working remotely, you know, <laughs> and, and, and then you kind it's of, you know. It's unbelievable. And then you kind of layer into that the fact that, you know, lenders have had, what is it, 1.6 million payment holiday applications to deal with as well. You know, none. So the fact that the system hasn't broken, I am astounded with, to be honest. Um, but I think, um, you know, it's going to be very interesting because um, apparently Sunday evening, and Ed, you probably know more about this than I do, but Sunday evening, um, we, we should hear more about what the what the measures will be for um, estate agents who will be operating physical viewings um, under lockdown procedures. And if that's anywhere near as draconian as what I'm hearing, um, then I think that the businesses that navigate that process really well, that, that make a very difficult set of circumstances easier for their vendors are the ones that are going to really be able to differentiate themselves against their local competition. So I think it's all about finding that silver lining, you know, um, if you want to, if you're of that mindset. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been, uh, I'll echo that in the, in our world, in the mortgage world, it's, it's, it is, it, it is a, it is a leap. Everyone has been making excuses for so long that actually it's got to be face to face. You can't possibly have everyone working from home. You need a big office base um, technology isn't quite there yet. And now this situation has forced everyone into really looking at their processes and really thinking, well, actually, we can use technology for that. And actually, we can talk to clients in this way. Um, so it's, uh, I think this is a fundamental shift. But some me. of the things, Monty, the, 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 economically, some, everything. some of the things, Mom, that are going to have to change with this not having to meet people face to face are the IDing issues. We know that in your mm. business and in our business, um, particularly in the estate agency, this ridiculous thing where you know the UK is still the only country in Europe, if not the world almost, where if you're going to move into a property, the actual someone has to actually meet you and see you face to face. That's just ridiculous. A lot of people who rent stuff rent it miles yeah, away and for them to have to travel halfway across the county or the country to, just to meet the agent and show them their passport. 
and from a yeah. um, ID perspective on your uh, on your side, on the lending side, there are just so many sensible ways of doing it. But I do think, I mean, um, Louisa just mentioned this thing about what's going what's to happen on Sunday night. I just wish people would be sensible. I think for the moment, it's this is all about being sensible and about being about towing the line, and it's about the NHS and it's about saving lives. When we move on from this and the lockdown starts, as long as people just remain, use their common sense, viewing a property doesn't have to be that difficult. If it's empty, that's fine. If there are people in it, you can make it empty for the period of the viewing. You can have people not touching anything, people wearing gloves to open doors. It's not that difficult. I just hope people use their common sense and don't get too, um, what's the right word, British, net twitchy, curtain net yeah. twitchy about it. <laughs> well, you know they will. Um, so technology is, is a big one. I mean, Ed, we've talked about this, you know, over the <laughs> over the years, really, in various guises. Um but this does seem like the the kick that everyone needs to actually really, really crack on with technology. Um, and do you think that do you think this does change everything now? Well, I think it's for that. There are two parts to this. One, obviously, is the demand side of it, which is that you know people have been forced to engage with it if they want to keep their businesses. And a lot of agencies, a lot of estate agencies and lettings agencies and property managers have either um, completely closed up shop and just put a sign in the window that said, and, you know, online saying, we're not doing anything until this all finishes sort of thing. And others are carrying on doing a lot of business using using technology, particularly on the letting side at the moment. But the other side of the coin is the fact that prop tech, in inverted commas, has now been an expression for sort of four or five years. And there's been a lot of shakeout in the industry in that a lot of people started out with good ideas, but unless they're funded and executed, et cetera, et cetera, they just fall away. So the fact is you're now in a situation where you've got some very good, um, uh, what's the right word, um, aggregators of prop tech, companies like this ICG, the Innovation Collaboration Group, people like that who have um, websites that agents can go to, and they've got sort of curated best-in-class prop tech solutions that go from everything from keeping your database warm and marketing to them and finding out when they're going to move, which is very time-consuming but can, can be done automatically, right the way through to the last mile of provision doing viewings and inspections like Viber does. So there's, and there's anything in between. So, so there's been a big change on both sides. And do, you, do you get a sense, either of you, that, um, that people are willing to purchase property in a different way as well? maybe actually purchase it virtually rather than actually getting that because the reason we bought our house was you know if we'd looked at it it's not our perfect house bless it I love it but <laughs> when you walked in there was a feel we just we mm. both walked out yeah. not expecting to have felt yeah. what we felt yeah. and that was a yeah. reason we bought it yeah so I always talk about the warm tummy feeling um yeah but absolutely I, you know but I think you look you know for a forward-thinking agent, if you've been able to get stuff under offer, and I'm aware of this happening because I speak to a lot of agents week in, week out, and I've spoken to more people in the last five or six weeks than I've had time to, you know, previously, you know, there are still a lot of very good agents who were on the front foot. They knew lockdown was coming. One particular agent actually um, in um, around sort of Bedford way that, that I have quite a lot of contact with, he sent his team out two or three days before lockdown and said, I don't care how you do it, but every property we've got on the book you need to do a video tour of that, yeah, even if it's brilliant. on your mobile, right? Get yeah. it done because then we've got it if we need it. And do you know what? He's had eight properties go under offer during lockdown, right? So wow. it just shows you, okay? Now, they're all sort of mm. subject to a, a physical viewing at some point. 
But I think it's not a huge stretch to think that if the consumer embraces the ability to view a, a property virtually, be that either via you know a FaceTime session with the vendor where, where they're holding their phone and they're walking around the property and the agent joins that call and gives them you know some some discussion points and talks them through that um, or whether or not that's a professionally undertaken video or whether or not it's use of you know, technology like Matterport or whatever it is if consumers adopt that then you can see that going forward we could see fewer physical viewings but a far better conversion rate because effectively people are doing their first viewing virtually yep. no i'd completely go along with that. and that leads to a far more efficient estate agency process because mm. if on a busy saturday that effectively becomes a saturday full of second viewings and they've had the opportunity to go back and do all of their research for video then i think you are looking at inevitably if you're if you're a good agent and you're smart and you harness that then you've got an opportunity to, to, to really improve your pipeline. Um, but I think there is a bigger conversation about all of this. And that's that, you know, just looking back at this as somebody who looks at stats and data, I think that this, this is very unlikely to be the last lockdown period we see in the next 12 months. Mm. And I certainly yeah, believe I think that's that, everyone's fear, isn't it? You know, that we are probably going to get a lockdown period again, be it that you know, apparently the Northwest is actually now beginning to see a peak. So it could be that it's regional lockdowns or it could be we have a, you know, national lockdown. Um, but I think, you know, at some point in the lead up to Christmas, when the usual cold and flu season starts, that's when it could happen again. So if agents aren't harnessing, if broke mortgage brokers aren't harnessing this technology now and putting it robustly into their planning processes, then frankly, you're just putting your business at risk at what could happen mm. later down the line. I mean, I think there's... I, Equally. I think you've got a lot um, of, of sensible stuff you're talking about there in terms of virtual um, virtual stuff. But I still think that that seat of the pants, warm tummy, you know, head over heart, whatever it is, or heart over head stuff that Monty referred to when he was buying his property, I think is is still going to be there. But I think the I absolutely is, get that, yeah. But I think the question is far wider than that. I think until you lot, Monty, and, and the conveyances get it together to do this process in a day or two days, i.e., you know, the buying process changes. The problem at the moment is you, you agree to buy your property virtually, which is great, or you put an offer in, and then it's going to take four months to get it to exchange, by which time you're going to say, oh, do you know what, forget it. I've seen yeah, another one, which I mean, is better. Yeah. So it's all, it's, it's, it's a great idea, and yeah. it is definitely part of the marketing ploy, and it definitely makes sense for people to use more 360 tours. But part of the fun of property is getting out and having a look at them. I think there will be fewer but better qualified viewings. But I think we've got to look at the other side of it, at the, at the, at the conveyancing side and the ability of the financing sector to get it done more quickly. I think where the financing is concerned, I, I obviously have got strong views on that. It's not We can get a mortgage offer out in a day in some cases. Our average time from application to offer is something like 12 days. It's not. It's not that the, the okay. Okay, I'll take the machine gun off you. Complex. Then. I'll take the machine gun so off the, you and put it on the conveyance yeah, so sector. So I'm very <laughs> the problem that we always have is around conveyancing, and that is the big problem. There's not enough technology. You, you know, stuff like lo waiting for local reports for weeks, things like that, or, or you know, the, the conveyancing process is very slow, and also people don't want it that quick. They don't want to agree to buy a property today and then 
move into it tomorrow. Yeah. There is is a process there. Mm. There's a danger of making it, especially when you're talking about a mortgage, getting something, the biggest loan you're ever going to take out in your life and you can press a button and, and get it within like three hours that's there's there's got to be some process there's got to be some advice there you've got to really make sure the client understands what they're doing and and what they're taking and and what what's in it for them I, I, i do agree with that and i kind of probably would take the middle view between the two which is you know i'm a big believer that innovation is driven by consumers okay so just to very quickly share a story with you yeah um, I started out my in my professional career as a programmer, right? As in, you know, computer programmer. And one of the first courses I was sent to at Thames Valley Park at the Microsoft campus was in 1997. Right. It was a right, right, right. And it was a two-day um, programming conference. And the highlight of this was that somebody came over from I don't know Palo Alto or wherever it was, um, and demonstrated the fact that you know they lined up on the stage a fridge a microwave and a kettle. And then he walked to the back of the stadium and turned them on and off with his mobile phone. This is 1997, (laughs) right? So make no mistake, IoT, Bluetooth, all of that stuff, that technology was around a long time before consumers even thought it would be cool to understand how much, you know, how, how much longer the dishwasher had to go, you know, on your iPhone, right? So if you then start to roll that out into conveyancing, I do honestly believe that if you could buy a property within days, like literally within like, you know, see it on a Friday, put the offer in, get your mortgage agreed and have literally completed within five days, I think most consumers would fight very shy of that level of technology. You know, another thing, you know, we implemented the first online bank in the UK in 1998. Mm. But really, online banking from the consumer's perspective took a good 10 years before it was commonplace. It wasn't that that technology didn't exist. It was the fact that consumers didn't want it. Well, I think that's yeah. a conversation. So I think that's a, to, I think that's you know, that's a, to, it's a conversation to have with the consumers, isn't it? Because, you know, if you, yeah, ask, if you no, ask my kids who are 26, my twins, whether they want to go and talk to a, an old guy with a beard like Monty and, and traipse around looking at the safe agents, they would turn around and say, forget that. They don't want to meet anybody. They just want to get on and do it. And so I, I think you're right for the current, you know, we all know what the average age of a first-time buyer is at the moment. It's in his mid-30s or something. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, mid-30s and above is probably still people who still subscribe mm. to the same old, you know, we'd rather talk to someone, have a bit of touchy-feely. But someone at 25 is not going to want to go through that process. So I think we're we're engaged in a process of change. And I still think that the option to buy something in five days if you want to would be nice. But it's, you know, that's just, it's just not going to happen. I mean, actually, even that's not true. I've done that in my career. I've, done, I've exchanged in two or three hours. But that's when you've got, mm. that's when you've got thoroughly proactive, extremely well-paid solicitors and, mm. and, and everyone's been ready for the transaction before yeah. it starts. And yeah, it's yeah. cash. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I, think, I think there's a process in place here which will take time to be delivered. But that's an important part of, of the change in the estate agency business. Because if you could buy your property overnight without the need for all this stuff over the months and the estate agent acting as anything from a divorce um, counsellor through to a, you know, to a, to a chauffeur, then I think the online hybrid sector would be able to function much better. The fact is, it can't because you've got four months on average of cajoling, keeping things together, chains, 
all this sort of stuff has to be done. So, you know, it's it's going to take time. Mm. What, um, uh, Louise, you write a, a column in the press and no mm. doubt get lots of letters and emails from the public. What, what do you think in all of this, um, what do you think consumers are most concerned about? In no particular order, I would say, because <laughs> <laughs> there's probably about, there's probably about three main threads to this. So it's kind of like, is there going to be a house price crash? Because everybody's obsessed with the fact that, you know, it's crash, crash, crash. Yeah. Uh, you could then argue or define crash. Um, am I, should I still be moving home this year? Um, and if I have been furloughed, will I still be able to get a mortgage to buy something later on down the line? Yeah. And those are three, they're very different concerns. Um, and, and, you know, the last sort of two or three articles I've written, oddly enough, actually, I've literally just written up the Halifax House Price Index today. I filed yeah. it about a few minutes before we, we came on. Did you get podcast. my quoting? I did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and <laughs> envelope, you can, you can, you know, you can deal with that. We'll deal with that another day. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm very much, hey, look, you know, we're all realists here, right? And, you know, bad news sells papers uh, and, 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 and bad news is good clickbait. Yeah. But I always try to present a balanced article. It would be very easy to write endless reams about, you know, a very negative market. And I really believe that doesn't really help anybody. No, um, and I always sort of try to bring out the, the, the realism, which is, you know, yes, if you bought a property in 2009 at the time, it, it was for most a falling market. But if you'd held on to that, you were on average, you know, looking at anywhere north of a 40 percent increase come you know, this year over a 10 or 11 mm. year period. Um, so it's all about the long term, right? And and equally in the worst year of the last recession in 2009, there was still just shy of 850,000 residential property transactions. Mm. Yes, I appreciate that's probably half of where we were the previous year, but that still tells us in a, in a very difficult economic climate, a shed load of people still had enough faith in property that they wanted to purchase. So, you know, history tells us that, yes, these things do happen. But equally, if you look further forward, you know, if, if you're thinking, you know, I, and I don't know what the average time between home moves is these days, but I think I saw something a while ago, it was 17 years on average between home moves. So, you know, if, if you even say it's 10 years these days between home moves, the chances are, um, you know, if you have to move now, if it is the right time for you yeah. as your lifestyle, yeah, as your lifestyle dictates, well, if you're one of the three Ds, it's going to be okay. But it's trying to get that message out yeah. to the public, Ed, and I you, think um, that that's well. The way I always used to deal with it, well, I always used to deal. I mean, I mean, I've always been a, um, not a cynic with this sort of price stuff because when I first started in the industry, the average time for people to move was three years, but. Stamp duties put complete pay to that. Absurd policies that have that have been embarrassingly was started off by a to- Tory government with Ken Clark. But the fact is, you know, a bad market or a difficult market is by far and away the best time to upgrade your property. So you you you, mm. you live in a property mm. that's worth two hundred and fifty grand now, and you think, oh dear, it's worth two hundred thousand. But what were you looking to buy if it was going to cost you four hundred? And that's now going to cost you three twenty-five. Who's the winner there? So I don't understand mm-hmm. all this business of people bang- worrying about. I know they do because it, it, it's it's what fuels their ability to feel good. But actually, it's rubbish. Mm. You're buying and selling in the same market. And actually, I mean, I, I, I like Louise's comment about about oh nine and the difference in prices. But actually, for large swathes of the country, 
prices are, prices haven't gone up since then. They're actually in even in real even in nominal terms, they're lower than they were back then. So, so it just depends where you are and what you're doing. I mean, you know, I I do think this whole thing at the moment this. Um, ability to suddenly work from home might fuel for a lot of people the ability to live in other places. I mean, where I live here, mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere in Dorset, some extraordinary contraption hove into view the other day and has laid fibre right up to the house. And we are in the middle of nowhere. Literally, I'm in the middle of nowhere. So I'm going to have 100 meg broadband here in the middle of nowhere. This just It was pure luck that the, this thing happened to be going past. I said, oi, can you do me, please? Wow, I have broadband envy. Yeah, well, That's I mean, amazing. you know, but the, but, the fact is, <laughs> but the fact is, if you can go and buy a property somewhere where it's still cheap and you can work from home and have a much better quality of life, that might be one of the changes that, 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 is, that, that is founded here. Yeah, yeah. So just picking up on on price generally, we saw the Halifax price index you, you mentioned today, Louisa. Just, mm. oh, and I think what I said was actually, what's the point of of producing these indices in in this period when transactions are so low? Yeah. Does it mean anything? It's... Should it, should we even have that at the moment? And and actually, then following on question for both of you, where where do you see prices going realistically so, this year? So and I, th- beyond? I think. You know, hey, in in the commentary that went with the Halifax HPI today said, you know, we recognise the fact that this is volatile. <laughs> so, I, you know, um, in, ter- in terms of, look, I always believe you can't effectively forecast anything until you've got at least three months worth of data. Uh, you know, it's, so, so I think, you know, it's too early in the day to call it as a trend. I do think there are going to be some changes in price, but I think it's probably going to be not a dissimilar pattern to what we saw after the referendum. So, you know, I'll never forget that because actually referendum day was the day I was um, hosting the Mortgage Advice Bureau conference. I've re- Monty, I've if you remember. Yeah, yeah. I remember it yeah. well. Yeah. And we had a little <laughs> show of hands in the room and we all said, what do you think is going to happen? Um, but but when you looked at the data after that, for a good sort of, it took six six to nine months, I think, to emerge. But what we saw was that areas with a strong leave vote saw nothing much change. In fact, they gradually saw an uptick in price growth and transaction volumes. And you then saw, conversely, that areas that had a very strong remain vote, so for that read London in the southeast, saw prices cool and transaction numbers slow. And really, what's that all about? It's consumer sentiment, isn't it? You know, it, it's yeah, not difficult no, to read, right? That the areas that voted leave got what they wanted. Consumer sentiment was strong. Therefore, as far as they were concerned, everything great and good and fine. Let's crack on. I don't have any worries about the economy. I'm going to buy my house and I'm just going to, you know, it's all good kind of thing. So I think that if you were to map that pattern and to, to pick up on Ed's point, yes, you are more than likely to see the fact that rural and coastal areas where there have been, you know, my mum lives in the New Forest um, and, you know, there have been barely any cases down there of COVID-19 and it's a beautiful mm. rural area, a bit much like you, Ed, you know, in Dorset, just over the border from my mum, rolling open spaces and it's a very different feel. So you can quite quickly see that with the advent of more homeworking, um, that rural and coastal areas and those villages and towns are going to see a growth in popularity you know you can almost hear the storm down to the Cotswold now can't you you know whereas whereas those people who perhaps um were thinking about buying you know in a a densely populated urban area might now be rethinking that Mm. so you can see how in terms of prices and transaction levels a little bit like the pattern we saw after the referendum we could see a replay of that but with COVID-19 
Ed, what, what were your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's entirely possible, but so are all sorts of other things. As I said, I think the unusual thing about this particular um, black swan event is that it's it's knackered people on both the buy and the sell side. So um, yeah. will it change people's... I don't know. I bumped into someone down here the other day um, as I was coming back from my weekly shop and I wound down the window and shouted at him <laughs> from about 10 feet away. And he was saying... Um, oh, this is great. I've been trying to sell my house. It's going to be worth more now. And that sort of slightly buys into what, <laughs> that, that slightly tell, plays into what yeah. Louisa was saying. But I just, do you know what? I just don't buy that. I just think that, um, I think what's always been good will still be good. Um, I can see a little bit of a fall off if anybody feels they have to sell straight away because it'll take time to build pipelines of interest back up again when people mm. finally get out and about. So if anybody has to do a deal quickly, um, but I don't see a huge amount changing. I can see a little dip for a little bit and then that coming back again. But listen, who knows? I mean, I, we can talk about this. I'm far more bo- bothered about volumes than I am about values because, you know, the market yeah, exists. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's all about volumes. And, and talking about volumes, we haven't got that long left, but um, in terms of what do you think the government will do? So I, I know they're going to, we're going to edge out of this slowly and um, it won't be a, a sudden, you know, Monday, everything's back. Um, it will be a long, slow, laborious process. Actually, coming out of this will be harder than going in, going into it. Um, but do you think they will put more plans forward to stimulate the property market in itself? Cuts in stamp duty, talk of a further extension to help to buy, not going through the changes that they were going to make. Do you think they're going to do that? And should they do that? I can't see them doing anything with stamp duty. Just because I think the, the Treasury, let's face it, are going to need all the income that they can get to balance the books. Um, you know, I, I have thought the last couple of years that there might have been something around stamp duty in the budgets. But, I, I, hey, I could be wrong. I can't see that one coming. Um, help to buy, interesting. Um, I believe that um, they've already announced an extension of the current help to buy without the regional price caps. Is that right? So I think that they've... Um, They've delayed the introduction of the regional price caps for another year. I could be right. wrong. But um, so, yeah, I, you know, on that note, I do think um, new build is probably going to see um, an uptick in popularity only because um, speaking to a few people without the industry, you know, there is a um, obviously we all know that you pay a premium for new build. Right. But mm. and I have always called it the first bum on the seat premium. Yeah. But I yeah, think yeah. that there is much more sensitivity now around wanting something that's box fresh that hasn't been lived in. Um, so I can, I can kind of see that I can kind of see that. And I've, I've kind of sanity checked that with a few people throughout the industry and, 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 um, their response has been interesting. You say that Lou, because that's kind of what we're actually seeing in real time. (laughs) So I think that that, that might sort of, then is there going to be a need then on that basis? If that proves to be the case, does, does the, does the house builder really need any more help mm. kind of thing? No, um, yeah. Well, it's you just know, going to go back to the, the old question of you just inflating their, their profits again uh, so, unnecessarily. No, um, well, except that so they're I the ones, that, except, except be... the house builders, don't forget, are the only ones at the moment who can sell at a, you know, the house builders have to keep selling. They can't just they can't just do nothing mm. for another three months. If, the, if, if all this goes on for another three months, they have to sell. So... It's it's the, the the best opportunity of getting a bargain out there at the moment is to look at new homes. These people are selling at bargain prices at the moment. So I've never been a massive... Now, you see, I would disagree with that, Ed, and only because 
I've spoken to five medium-sized developers over the last six weeks, and they are selling and valing at pre-COVID-19 prices. Well, They're not giving any discounts. They don't I mean, need to give discounts. Mine was just based on sort and of logic, people are buying really, rather, and just, rather than yeah, anything else. But, yeah, no, um, no, absolutely. They are, they are not having to discount whatsoever at all. Interestingly, because of this, you know, well, we were thinking about buying secondhand resi, but, you know, we can't get a val on it, and it's really difficult. And we know that, you know, this is absolutely new, and there's no issue, and there's no risk, and they are getting their asking price. I don't know for how much longer. <laughs> Obviously, but um, that that seems to be. Yeah, I'm a bit more cynical about about prices and and stimulation from the government mm. in so far as it depends on where, where where the voting intentions are. And you've got a government here that's now going to be mm. in place for five years. They don't need to worry too much about anything for the next five years. So I don't think they'll be doing much to stimulate the market in the near future. I think if they do anything, they'll be trying to stimulate the rental market and and do something with that because that's a, that's a far bigger sector for mm. them than used to be the case. I think that's a really good point. So I, I think mm. they're more likely yeah. to use something there. And you can see... Very good point. And you can see, can't you, that actually probably out of all of this, I my personal belief is that the rental sector, landlords, um, private landlords, portfolio, small portfolio landlords, I think they're going to bear the brunt of it. I really do. Um, you know, when you when you look at the, the macro macroeconomics of it, if 4 million people are likely to be unemployed and the majority of those redundancies are likely to come from the travel tourism leisure sector which traditionally are lower paid anyway therefore the the majority of those people one would conclude are probably more likely to be tenants rather than homeowners Mm. so when you start thinking it like that you know it's it's you can see that you know we already know that landlords again from from conversations around the industry, uh, you know, they're, they're having a, a really difficult time trying to juggle, um, you know, helping their tenants through um, the need for a payment holiday. But equally, that's racking up debt on the tenant's part. So how does that all square? Um, you know, th- that that I think is probably where the smelly stuff is going to be. And then you've got the whole Airbnb Armageddon situation. You yeah. know, that it's in quite itself. interesting on buy to let <laughs> landlords because we've, we've, we've actually seen, you know, a lot of the professional buy to let landlords, they're raising their head above the parapet again. Mm. These are the times where they they make money. They're, they're mm. looking at how can I release cash from my portfolio? I want to be ready for the opportunities because they think the opportunities mm. are coming. So actually, we're seeing that professional landlord activity literally a client phoned me the other day and I answered the phone and I said, I know things are bad because you're calling me because there must be opportunity in the market because what is he, it he calls yeah. me in those in these conditions. Yeah. And it's how he's, you know, he, he does deals, he'll do development, portfolios, etc., and, and he'll make money in this. In this and, and that's right, isn't it? You know, it's the old George Soros um, quote, isn't it? You know, be, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Mm. Uh, you know, and, right. but it's a, it's at what point do you call it? You know, at, at what point is the market bottoming, and at what point do you feel that you're catching a falling knife? And I don't yeah. know the answer to that. Well, I think it's, it's, I agree with Ed on this. Is there's never a good time to buy. There's never a bad time to buy. Mm. You do what's right for you. Yep. And if it's a home, in a bad market, a home. You, you're selling mm. and you're buying as well. It's not. Mm. Yeah, property is not unless you are a professional investor. It's not a property is a long term thing. It's a home. You're buying a home. Mm. Mm. Um, right, I think we're sort of drawing to the end. Ed, Ed, any last words you would like to say? Not really. Not, ever, not really. I mean, I think, <laughs> not really. I mean, I think it's just a question of people retaining their common sense. I really hope that we don't come out of this lockdown with the British curtain twitching, 
Um, everything's, you know, who's done what wrong. Let's all be um, sensible, use our common sense, practice all the things that we've now learned, the things like social distancing and whatever. And I think if everybody follows all yeah. that, then I think we'll be absolutely fine. But let's not get into this, oh, he did this, that, whatever. You know, just just be commonsensical. Yeah. No, I agree. Thank you, Ed. And Louisa, I've, I've asked this question to Ed before, so it's your turn. If you weren't doing right. what you're doing now in the property industry, uh, what would you be doing? Oh man! Um, in my dream world, in my dream world, I'd be, I'd be, um, I'd be a professional drummer. That's kind of right. Uh, yeah, you're a rock, a rock yeah. chick, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So before I took a turn into computer programming, that I kind of, I that was kind of what I did. And so <laughs> and then I got a sensible job and grew up. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I'd be um, I'd be gigging with Van Halen if, if that was an option. Brilliant. But um, oh, if, if it wasn't, I think I yeah, <laughs> I think if, if that wasn't an option, then I probably would still be writing or being a journalist, just probably about something different. Um, so, yeah, music journalist, or, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, I'd, a, I'd never thought of that. Yeah, journalist. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd love to write a rock. I, mean, I would. It would be amazing to write um, a rock biography for someone. You know. So okay. um, you can do that, mine, but it won't like. I, it'll yeah, only be I'll like a very brief chapter. It's a friend I'll of mine. A friend of mine. A friend, no one a friend of mine did. Um, Keith yeah. Richard did Keith Richards one, and I think he had a lot of fun doing oh, that. Wow. Oh, that's a brilliant one. That is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah, I've got that. That's nice. excellent. Have you have you yeah. read um Have you read Ozzy Osbourne's autobiography? No, no. I might identify oh, with it all a bit too much. I think so. I'm gonna leave. It's that. awesome. <laughs> it's absolutely awesome. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's let's move along from biting the heads off bats in this, yeah. in this current environment. Yes, and on that, bombshell, <laughs> <laughs> on that bombshell, on that bombshell. Thank you very much. Thank you to my guests. Thank you, Ed Mead, and thank you, Louisa Fletcher. Thank you very much, both of you. And, of course, thank you all for listening. We will be back uh, probably next month, maybe even sooner than that, actually. Uh, if you have any comments or questions in the meantime to put to either myself or you want to follow up with any of our guests, you can contact me on Twitter at Monty's blog. Until next time, this is The Property Show signing off.